0: Welcome to episode 16 of the Strength Matrix podcast. My name is Josh Setledge and I am the BJJ Strength Coach. And in today's episode, we're going to be breaking down how you can roll harder on the mat, train smarter in the gym so you can ultimately enhance your overall performance on the mat so you can win more matches and get Injured less, and I'm super excited to jump on another podcast episode with you guys. We have 10 more questions, a couple of questions from the strength matrix, uh, the strength matrix community, excuse me, and we have a couple of questions from Instagram. But before we dive into it, I do want to let you guys know that this episode, just like every other episode, is brought to you by thestrengthmatrix.com. This is your one-stop shop for all your grappling, strength, and conditioning needs when you sign up for the strength matrix, you'll get access to five unique world class training programs, mobility guides, recovery, lectures, uh, different, really any resource that you need to enhance your overall performance. So you can win more matches and get injured less, that's all going to be available for you on the strength matrix. And the strength matrix is hooking listeners up of this podcast up with a free four week strength program. Now, if you're someone who has been doing jujitsu for a little while, or maybe you're brand new to jujitsu and you recognize that, okay, I do need to start getting stronger. I need to start decreasing my risk of injury. I need to start enhancing my performance on the map. I don't know where to begin. I don't know where to start. The strength matrix is here to help you out. They have a free four week strength program that you can download. There's no strings attached. Just click the link in the description below of this podcast episode. You can download that program and start training. And without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into episode 16 of the Strength Matrix podcast. Question number one comes from Ben Rundle. Ben is one of our members in the Strength Matrix community. He's been a Strength Matrix member, shoot, I believe since the program first started. So Ben is an OG, as I like to say. He has a great question and he says, uh, what are the best exercises for tricep and quad growth. So, great question, Ben. When we look at building a bigger muscle or we look at trying to induce hypertrophic gains, hypertrophy or hypertrophic gains essentially refer to increasing the size of the muscle. We want to build a bigger muscle. And why is that important? Well, building a bigger muscle gives us a greater potential to develop strength. So, Uh, when you look at two muscles, muscle a muscle B, if muscle a is twice as large as muscle B, if they do the exact same strength program, muscle a has a greater potential to develop a lot more strength than muscle B. So there is a lot of practical use to developing bigger muscles, especially for uh, sports and especially for jujitsu. Now, when we talk about specific muscle groups, like the triceps and the quads, there's a couple different things that we need to go over. Regardless of any muscle that we're training when we're looking for that muscle to get bigger, we need to train within the right volume parameters. So make sure we're getting enough sets and reps in to induce a hypertrophic response and make sure we're using the right amount of weight for hypertrophy. So When we look at it, if uh, the triceps, the triceps are used a lot in the uh, exercise like the floor press, if you do a one rep max floor press, that is not really going to help you that much in building a bigger muscle. Main reason being is because it's not a whole lot of reps and it's not you can't really do that a lot for multiple sets on end and it's very intense. It's good for helping to get stronger, but it's not great for helping you build more muscle. The other thing that we need to look at when talking about hypertrophy is it's pretty clear in the research has stated that taking a muscle to the largest range of motion possible at the appropriate loads for the appropriate amount of sets and reps is going to lead to the greatest hypertrophic gains or is going to allow you to build the most amount of muscle. So Looking at that, whether it's the triceps or the quads, we want to pick exercises that are going to allow us to take the muscle through the largest range of motion possible. Two examples are going to be uh, for the quads things like astagras squats, things like uh, a hack squat if you have a hack squat machine. If you have a uh, different types of leg extensions could also work, but um, I'm not the biggest fan of leg extensions as a whole but you want to think about taking your quads through the greatest range of motion possible which often uh, translates to doing deep squatting movements deep lunging movements ass to grass style exercises and you want to train within the 8 12 rep range and how many sets you're going to do is going to depend on a lot of different variables depending on how experienced you are um, how strong you are and all that stuff but for a general recommendation, I would say if you want your quads to get bigger, the two things you need to focus on are making sure that you're taking your quads through a large range of motion. Two of my favorite exercises to do this are gonna be um, any sort of ass to grass squat with with a load that's placed in front of the body. So something like a front squat, a goblet squat, you could use a safety squat bar, which even though the bar pad is resting on your back, the way the arms of the safety squat bar are set up, it actually pushes the weight a little bit more in front of your body. So I'm a big fan of that for developing the quads. And then I like to perform movements for the quads through the eight to 12 rep range. So maybe you do like two heavy sets of eight on an SSB squat or a safety squat bar where you're going really deep, ass to grass, taking the quads in the knees and ankles and hips through a full range of motion. Then I would follow that up with maybe four sets of ten on like a, a dumbbell lunge or a deep Bulgarian split squat. And then maybe to close things out as part of a finisher, I would do some leg extensions for set to twelve or some banded leg extensions for maybe a few higher rep sets. That's going to be for the quads. For the triceps, we're going to use all the same principles. We want to take the take the muscle through the largest range of motion possible we want to load it in the 8 to 12 rep range and we want to pick exercises that we could use with a decent amount of weight that's going to keep us within like like at an 8 to 9 rpe for that rep range and i didn't mention this for the quads but when you're aiming for hypertrophy you want to create a pump sensation you want to shuttle a lot of blood into the muscle and you want to create a a Acidic environment you want to feel that burn a little bit and you want to stay You don't necessarily want to fail on every set or go to failure on every set But if you're going for a set of 10 reps You want to feel at the end of those 10 reps that maybe you had only one more rep in the tank on that working set, or maybe only had two more reps in the tank on that working set. So to circle back around, we talked about quad exercises, talking about triceps. Some of my favorite exercises are going to be a close grip bench press, a uh there's a whole bunch of different types of skull crushers that you can do but one of my favorite types of skull crushers is going to be a banded skull crusher because the bands allow for some accommodating resistance it's also great for improving the lockout strength on movements like your floor press and your bench press and if i were to throw one more in there dips i mean are, are one of the best exercises of all time in my opinion so i'd definitely throw in some weighted dips great question ben Next question is from Kriziak underscore Joe, and he asks, fat grips, are they worth it to have for Brazilian jiu-jitsu grip strength, or are they not needed? Fat grips are awesome. I have a pair myself. I've I've had them for several years now. Um, I believe my uh, girlfriend, now wife, got them for me when we first started dating, and they're awesome. They're a great training tool to have. You can put them on dumbbells. You can put them on a barbell. You can put them on kettlebells. um, You can put them on a pull-up bar. It definitely changes things up and it's good to have a much thicker grip that is more like when you grab a, tr- a traditional dumbbell or a traditional barbell, it's usually three quarter inch steel and no, I, I don't at least I don't know anybody that has a wrist that is only three quarters of an inch thick. So putting some fat grips on there definitely make it a little bit more specific to the type of grips that you would use or the type of gripping that you would use when you're at jujitsu establishing wrist control and things like that. But I do not think that they need to be put on every machine and every dumbbell and every barbell. I do not think that they need to be used for every exercise. Like anything else, it's a great tool, but there's a time and place to use them. And sometimes it's just more appropriate to use a standard dumbbell or a standard barbell. But I have nothing against the fat grips. I own a pair myself, and I do really enjoy using them. I tend to use them mainly on accessory exercises. So, um if I'm going to do a max effort set of deadlifts, I don't want my grip to be the limiting factor, so I'm not going to put fat grips on there. That being said, as a jiu-jitsu athlete, if you're doing max effort deadlifts and your grip is failing you on a straight bar, you need to strengthen your grip, dude. Uh, but don't use straps, I'm not a big, I am not a fan of using straps for deadlifts, but if I'm going to do max effort work, i'm not necessarily even though i'm not a fan of using straps i'm not necessarily going to go so far on the other side of the spectrum and add fat grips on the bar next question from rye underscore jujitsu thoughts on creatine for bjj athletes that don't need to cut weight creatine is awesome Creatine, maybe i've answered this question before i can't remember it's all starting to blend together anyway but creatine is one of the most studied supplements and one a supplement that has so much research behind it, it's pretty valid and pretty effective. At least the results are pretty clear in proving its validity and its effectiveness for sports. Creatine, what it does is it improves your ability to do just a little bit more work in your training sessions. So, say you say you're going for a max amount of reps on. Uh, say dumbbell bench press. Typically, you would be able to get 10 reps, but maybe on you're doing four sets of 10, but maybe on you know the last set you're able to get 12 reps. It, you're, it's only going to help you increase. Your reps by just a little bit or it's only going to help you increase your conditioning just a little bit however when you stack those two reps here or those extra five seconds of conditioning over here and you stack those up over the course of the year it could lead to a lot of pretty serious gains uh in the course of the long run so it is effective um one thing with creatine is that a lot of times people think that you need to go through a creatine loading phase I don't necessarily think that's necessary, especially for weight class sport athletes. You just need about five grams of creatine per day and you can just keep consuming that. And the only time you would wanna cycle off that is if you have a really serious weight cut, which if you've listened to some of the other episodes of the podcast, you guys know that I am not a big fan of weight cutting and I don't think that any athlete who is over 13% body fat should even consider cutting weight. So if you're over 13% body fat, and you take creatine, you can just keep taking it as long as you want five grams a day. All that being said, if you do consume a lot of high quality red meat as your primary source of protein, I don't think you really need to supplement creatine because you're getting as much creatine as you need through your diet already. And so five years ago, I was supplementing creatine pretty seriously, five grams every day. I would never miss you know, a day of taking my creatine first thing in the morning. Um, but then when I switched over to the diet that I follow now, the vertical diet, where I was eating a pound, sometimes a pound and a half of red meat every single day, I didn't really notice the effects of creatine anymore. And then when I took the creatine out, I just ran out of the, in the little container nothing changed. And I believe that was mainly because I was getting all the creatine that I needed from the food that I was eating. So if you have a well balanced diet that consumes a lot of high quality red meat, you probably don't need to be consuming any additional creatine. Next question from science.abroad. Best exercise for muscular endurance that is BJJ specific this is a really good question, and a really good answer is just to do more jiu-jitsu. Jiu-jitsu is a mixed energy system sport, so there are going to be times where you're going to need to be really fast and explosive and kind of sprint through on a scramble to establish a strong position. And there are going to be other times where it's a lot lower intensity, longer duration, um where you're not sprinting but you need to stay active at a lower intensity for a long period of time. I don't know if you guys watched the Who's Number 1 card this last Thursday night, but Isaac Mitchell um had a 2 plus hour long, at least I believe it was 2 hours, or maybe it's just shy of 2 hours. We'll just say it was 2 hours. He had a 2 hour long submission only match with Kyle Chambers from Tenth Planet. So, you definitely need a lot of conditioning to be able to roll for that long. But there were points in that match where they both had to scramble and be really fast and explosive to establish a dominant position. Now, when we talk about conditioning there's really no form of conditioning that's going to perfectly replicate jujitsu outside of jujitsu, and so that's why my common answer for things like this is: if you want to get better at conditioning for jujitsu, best thing to do is just do more jujitsu. Now, there's a strategic way to do that, um, and I've made YouTube videos on this in the past before. I would definitely check out uh, the top five condition uh, my video on YouTube called the top five conditioning mistakes. And there's another video about a uh, conditioning for jujitsu that I would check out. I would suggest looking at those, but when you're, when you, if we split the energy systems kind of into two sides, we have our high, super high intensity, short duration, conditioning and then we have our lower intensity longer duration you're going to get most of your lower intensity longer duration conditioning while you're at jujitsu doing your drilling doing your live rolling doing your technique work all that stuff when we're outside of jujitsu we want to focus on the things that we don't already focus on at jujitsu which if we look at it if we go outside the gym we want to focus on kind of those those holes and our conditioning development which would be the high intensity short duration so that's why i'm such a big fan of finishing our weight training sessions one to two times a week with some form of high intensity interval training usually it's like on an assault bike or a concept Two rower, rower it'll be anything from you know six rounds 15 seconds on 45 seconds off during those 15 seconds you are sprinting as hard as you can and then during the 45 seconds you're resting as much as you can so Science abroad. I hope that answers your question. Next question space. What would help prevent knee pain after hard wrestling? This is a. Uh, there's kind of two ways to answer this question. The first way would be to, well, just don't do whatever is causing you to be in pain while you're wrestling. So if you if someone shoots in on a single leg, and you're getting in these crazy funky positions where your knee is just getting twisted and cranked on and it hurts the next day. I don't know what else to tell you besides don't do that and find a better way to defend takedowns. The other thing that's going to help is making sure that all the musculature around your knee gets stronger, as well as you improve the mobility of the joints above and below the knee. Things like the ankle, things like your hip. If you're able to spend some time strengthening the muscles around your knee, like your hamstrings, your quads, your adductors, uh, your glute medius, your calves, your tibialis, things like that, that's definitely gonna help decrease your risk of injury and hopefully decrease the amount of pain you're experiencing after wrestling practice, as well as improve the mobility of your ankles and your hips. You wanna be able to get into a nice deep squat position. You wanna be able to successfully internally and externally rotate your hip, which means you wanna be able to successfully internally rotate and pull your knee towards the inside of your body and externally rotate, pull your knee to the outside of your body. I have several videos on this on my Instagram and my YouTube channel that would help you out with that. But that's gonna be the best thing that you can do to prevent knee pain after hard wrestling is by making sure that your body is in shape and prepared for the stuff you're gonna do at wrestling practice beforehand. Next question from Dax underscore U R. Um he says squat and deadlift for jujitsu, good or bad. To that I say it's not really about an exercise being good or bad. It's about an exercise being appropriate or inappropriate. From a macro level Just a broad sweeping statement, the squat movement, whether you use a dumbbell, barbell, um, kettlebell, doesn't matter what you use, the squat movement, same thing with the deadlift or the hip hinge movement are amazing and massively important when it comes to training for jujitsu. Now, whether or not you use a barbell or a dumbbell or a sandbag, that stuff is going to be a little bit more dependent on the athlete, what your training goals are, your mobility restrictions, your injury injury history, and a lot of other things. So I would say, Dax, that yes, you definitely want to get stronger in the squat. You definitely want to get stronger in your deadlift or hip hinge position. How you go about that? is going to depend on a lot of different things, but you're just going to have to find what works best for you. Or you can sign up for the strength matrix and get access to a whole bunch of different types of squatting and deadlift training programs that are going to help you out there. Next, we have Zach P90. Maybe he's maybe that's an Easter egg for P90X. I don't know if you guys remember P90X, but that was a uh, That was my jam back in the day. When I was a freshman and sophomore in high school, my nickname was P90X on the wrestling team because all I would do was I would go to wrestling and I'd go home and do P90X or I'd wake up early and do P90X before I went to school. And uh, that was my claim, my small and uh, embarrassing claim to fame. Anyway, his question is, he has dumbbells at home and access to barbells once a week. How should he utilize these? To make the most of that opportunity. Well, well, that's great, um, Zach, that you have access to dumbbells, and at least you get one day a week access to barbells. How I would personally do it is I would, I look at it this way, I would do when you have access to those barbell days, I would do the bulk of your main kind of big compound barbell movements on that day. So say like, you could alternate from week to week and train uh, on that barbell day. You could do a full body training session. So for week one, you have your barbell day. I would do something like a squat and a floor press. That would be your heavy barbell training. And if you, know, you could also do some other accessories after that as well. On that week, when you're at home, I would use the dumbbells to hit all your accessory work for the upper and lower body. So doing things like, uh, dumbbell Z presses, curls, dumbbell rollbacks. If you have access to a bench, you could do dumbbell bench press. You could do uh, dumbbell rows, um, dumbbell pullovers. If you have access to a pull-up bar, that's also gonna be a great idea. So that would be in week one. Your barbell day would be, at least how I would choose to do it, would be a squat and a floor press. Then on the next week, I would change it up and do a some sort of heavy deadlift and follow that up with some heavy bent over rows. And then the following week, I would just go back to the squat and the floor press. So in a nutshell, you would want to use that time you have access with the barbell to do your main heavy work, so to speak, your heavy efforts. And then outside of that day, when you have access to your dumbbells, that would be reserved for more of your um, your general physical preparedness and your accessory work. Question from kooks mars 70 what does your daily routine look like um that's a great question it's kind of the same thing every day um but it just kind of it changes it from day to day based off of what i have planned but the format of the day is all the same monday through friday if that makes sense so my schedule monday through friday always starts at around 2 a.m my alarm usually goes off around one between 145 and 205. Um, I have this app on my phone that wakes it's at times your wake up alarm uh, based off of when you're coming out of a deep sleep cycle. So that's kind of cool. So it'll usually go off between 145 and 205am. After that, I usually take a dookie after I go to the bathroom, I do a daily weight check in, I track my body weight every day, just to make sure I'm trending in the right direction based on my goals. And then usually I'll make adjustments to my nutrition and my training um, based off of those trends on a kind of like a two week basis. But anyway, wake up 2am, go to the bathroom, Uh, Jump in. Recently, I've been taking cold showers first thing in the morning. I would always take a shower in the morning, but I wasn't always taking a cold shower. Uh, I've been listening to a lot of stuff from Dr. Andrew Huberman, who has been talking about the benefits of helping you wake up and be more alert first thing in the morning. He recommended that as soon as you get up, try to expose yourself to as much light as possible, not light from your phone, where you don't want to stare at a tiny lit screen. You want to Turn on all the lights in the house if you can, or at least you know in the bathroom. I'm not trying to wake up my wife that early. And then also jumping into some sort of cold environment. So I'll take a quick cold shower, then go downstairs, make coffee. This is usually about 2.20, 2.30 a.m. Make my coffee, do the same thing, double shot of espresso. You know how we do. And then that's when I start my devotional time and my quiet time at around 2.40 Uh, 2.35 to 2.40 a.m. And then from 2.40 a.m., Till about 3.30 is all personal development time. So that's time where I'm reading scripture, uh, writing in my journal. Uh, Sometimes I'll do a a guided meditation or a guided uh, devotional meditation. I'll read any of my personal development books that I'm going through. Sometimes it's a training book. Sometimes it's a business book. Right now, I'm currently reading two different books. I'm reading Thanks for the Feedback, which is a book uh, all about feedback huge surprise. Am I right? Uh, I've read it before, but I it was five years or no, more than five years ago when I read it. So I'm just getting a good refresher on some of those communication tactics. And then the other book I'm reading is functional training by Mike Boyle. Uh, So that's a good strength and conditioning book. Usually when I'm reading, I try to have like jump back and forth between, okay, I have a strength and conditioning book that I'm working on. And then I have a personal development book or a business book that I'm working on. And so that personal development time goes to about three 30. And then at that point, it's time for me to head off to the gym. It's time for me to either start work depending on what I'm doing. Um, and it's basically just lifting jujitsu and or work all the way until 4.00 PM. And then at about 4.00 PM is when I shut it down for the night and spend time with my wife. We usually have dinner together and we'll sometimes watch a little TV or maybe we'll play it. Um, a board game or cards, we like to do that a lot. Also, I do train jujitsu occasionally in the evening, um, but that's not that's not all the time. It's like twice a week in the evening. So sometimes I go to jujitsu a little bit later, and that's it, Monday through Friday. And then on the weekends, it's a little bit more relaxed. Um, I don't. I try not to set an alarm on the weekends. I just try to let my body get as much sleep as it needs on Saturday and Sunday. But I still go to bed around the same time between seven and 8pm, except on uh, Friday and Saturday, Friday and Saturday, I stay up a little bit later, usually my wife and I are out doing something or uh, just enjoying the fact that we don't have to go to bed super early and start work the next day. So that is a typical schedule. Uh, Next question, how long should you rest between sets for jujitsu? This is a question from myli.sx. I think Uh, you're referring to when you're at the gym what should your rest periods be and should they be specific for jujitsu rest periods are a very interesting conversation because it really depends if you're doing really heavy strength work where you're working up to a heavy set of five or a heavy set of three or maybe you're working on some heavy singles you may need anywhere from 90 seconds to two minutes of rest um in my opinion we don't want to be in the gym any longer than we have to and your rest periods should be pretty quick so when i'm training even when i'm doing my really 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 heavy heavy strength training work I try not to ever take any more than two minutes between each set. And usually it's around 60 to 90 seconds. This is hard and it does take some time to get used to. But if you can can get yourself in shape to recover quickly, even when you're doing the heavy strength work, that's going to benefit you quite a bit in the long run. Now, when we're doing our accessory work or we're doing our hypertrophy training where strength isn't, we're not going super heavy and we're just trying to build more muscle or get in some extra reps. What we're going for is anywhere from 30 to 60 seconds between sets. And we try to run through those exercises and those sets as quickly as we can. Um, and the main reason being is because we want to maximize the amount of work we can get done in about 60 to 75 minutes when we're in the gym. Last question is from Octa V-R-R, Octaver, What does your diet look like? Uh, my diet right now is kind of the same it's always been for the past four years or so, uh, which has been pretty vertical ish. If you guys um, aren't aware, I adhere to Stan Efferding's vertical diet, which is for me, it's been the best diet that I've found. And it just there's so many great things about it that work well for me and my goals. And I would highly suggest if you're a jujitsu athlete or an athlete that cares a lot about their performance, definitely check out Stan Efferding's vertical diet. The basis of the diet is that you wanna make sure that you build a foundation of calories that are gonna allow you to recover and fuel performance. So making sure that you're building your foundation on protein and carbohydrates and selecting foods that are actually going to be a little bit easier to digest and have a lot more micronutrients in them. So that way you can be more efficient with your nutrition. You can be more efficient with your digestion. And ultimately, it'll serve you more in the long run because you won't be bloated or gassy or um, running into a lot of other issues that some of these other diets tend to have. And what I like a lot about the vertical diet is For me personally, I don't mind eating the same thing every day. So, one thing that Stan Everything talks about is his monster mash, which is just red meat and rice and chicken stock and some salt. I freaking love it. I've literally been eating that twice a day every day for the past four years straight. Of course, I've had some off meals every now and again, but for the most part, all I eat is I just eat the same thing every day. So, I eat a lot of eggs, a lot of ground beef. Um, When I feel like balling out and eating steak, I'll have steak. I have a lot of white rice, a little bit of milk, orange juice. Uh, What else is in there? Oatmeal on occasion, Greek yogurt, and of course, tons of coffee, because I love coffee. And that's basically it. And when I feel like I need to consume more calories, so I can pack on some size, I just increase the amount of rice that I'm eating. When I feel like I need to lean out and decrease body fat, I just decrease the amount of rice that I'm eating. And that's basically it. So, Thank you guys so much for listening to episode 16 of the Strength Matrix podcast. My name is Josh Settlidge. I am the BJJ Strength Coach. You guys can follow me on Instagram at Joshua Settlidge. And if you guys enjoyed this episode, it'd be a huge, huge favor to me if you left a five-star review. And if you screenshotted this episode and shared it on your social media or texted the link to your favorite training partner or your least favorite training partner, if you want to just tell them like, look, bro, you got to get on game. You're my least favorite training partner. You need to step up. You can tell them that too. So thank you guys so much for listening and I will catch you guys later. Peace.